In the midst of troubles, we must call on God and bless him. The Disciple May your name, O Lord, be blessed forever, for it is your will that this testing and time of trouble should come upon me. I cannot flee from it, but must flee to you for refuge, so that you can help me and turn it to a blessing. O Lord, the difficult time is upon me now, and I am not at peace in my heart, but this present suffering is proving very hard to bear. Beloved Father, what shall I say? Troubles hem me in on every side. Save me from undergoing this hour of trial. And yet I've only reached this hour of trial that I might undergo it and bring glory to your name. For it is you that shall deliver me when I've been brought low. O Lord, be willing to rescue me, for I am helpless. What can I do? Where can I go without you? Grant me patience, Lord, on this occasion too. Help me, O my God, and I shall not be afraid, however heavy my burden. And now, in the midst of all my trouble, this is what I shall say. O Lord, your will be done, for I deserve burdens and troubles. In any case, I must submit to it until the storm goes by and things are better. O help me do so with patience. Yet your almighty hand can take away even this temptation and shield me from it, so that I do not give way completely under its blows. O God of mercy, You've done this so often for me, and the harder it seems to me, the easier it is for the Most High to alter the fashion of his dealings with men. On asking for God's help and believing that you will regain his grace. The voice of the Lord. My son, I am the Lord, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Come to me when things are hard for you. The greatest obstacle to heavenly comfort is your slowness in turning to prayer. Before you start praying to me in earnest, you look for comforts of every kind and try to find relief for your soul in external things, and so you find little help in any of them. In the end, you have to realize that I am the one that saves men when they put their trust in me and that outside me there is no effective aid, no reliable counsel, no lasting remedy. But when your spirit revives after the storm, you shall grow strong again beneath the clear sky of my mercies. I am near, says the Lord, to restore all things, not merely to their former state, but adding heaped up, overflowing riches. Is any task too difficult for me? Shall I be like a man who promises and does not keep his word? Where is your faith? Take a firm stand and persevere. Show patience and courage. Comfort will come to you in due time. Wait for me, wait. I will come and heal you. This alarm, you feel, is nothing but a temptation. The fears that worry you are groundless. What's the good of worrying about things that may be going to happen? That only adds one misery to another. For today, today's troubles are enough. There's not much point either in fearing the future or in looking forward to it, when the things you imagine may well never come to pass. It's human nature to be deluded by this sort of thinking, and it's clear that the spirit is still weak when it accepts the enemy's suggestions with so little resistance. He doesn't mind whether he uses reality or fantasy, 
so long as he tricks men and gives them false ideas. It's all the same to him, whether it's attachment to the present or fear of the future that lets him trip them up. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Have faith in me. Have confidence in my mercy. When you think you're a long way from me, I'm often quite near. When you imagine that everything is lost, you're often on the point of acquiring great merit. Everything is not lost just because something goes wrong. You must never judge by what you happen to be feeling. And whenever life is proving difficult for any reason whatsoever, you must not abandon hope and behave as if things would never improve. Don't imagine you've been utterly abandoned, even if I send you distress for a time or take away some comfort. That's what the journey to the heavenly kingdom involves. For you, as for my other servants, it's definitely much better to be exercised by adversity than to have everything to your satisfaction. I know your secret thoughts. I know that your salvation is furthered if you're left from time to time with life that seems tasteless. Otherwise, you might become arrogant in prosperity and feel self-satisfied over something that is not due to yourself. What I've given, I can take away, and I can give it back again when it pleases me. When I've given it, it's still mine. When I take it back, I'm not removing anything of yours. Whatever gifts are worth having, whatever endowments are perfect of their kind, they're all mine. If I send you some burden, something that goes against the grain, you must not feel ill-used or downhearted. I can soon take it away and turn the heaviness of your heart to joy. And when I treat you like this, I'm still righteous and worthy of praise. If you're really wise and can see things as they really are, you should never be saddened or disheartened when things are difficult. You should rejoice and give thanks instead. Indeed, you should think it your chief joy if I will but torment you to your death. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's what I said to my beloved disciples. And I did not send them out to experience joy in this life, but to endure great struggles. I send them not to be honored, but to be despised, not to idleness, but to toil, not to rest, but to endure and yield a harvest. My son, remember these words of mine. On neglecting the whole creation in order to find the Creator. The Disciple O oh Lord, I need far more grace than I have now, if I am ever to reach a state in which neither man nor any other creature can be a hindrance to me. As long as there's anything to hold me back, I cannot freely fly up to you. I long to be free and fly to you, like the man who cried, Oh, for the wings of a dove, to fly away and find rest. There's nothing more at rest than the eye that can gaze without distraction, nothing more free than the man who desires nothing on this earth. So we must pass beyond the whole creation and lose all consciousness of self, then stand in ecstasy and see that you, the creator of all things, have nothing that approaches you among the whole creation. Only if a man is loosed from all created things is he free to direct his will to the things of God. The reason why so few contemplatives are found is that few people know how to cut themselves off completely from all that is perishable and created. To do so, one needs a great grace that can raise the soul 
and transported beyond itself. Unless a man is uplifted in spirit, released from the ties of every created thing and wholly united to God, it does not matter much what he knows or possesses. He will long remain spiritually weak and unable to rise if he thinks anything of value other than the one immeasurable eternal good. Whatever is not God is nothing and must be considered nothing. There's a great difference between the wisdom of a devout, spiritually enlightened man and the knowledge of a learned and studious scholar. The teaching which the divine influence pours into our souls from above is far more noble than the learning which man acquires by so much mental effort. There are many who desire contemplation, but they're not eager to practice what it demands. They're much hindered because they depend on things which can be seen and perceived with the senses, and because they've hardly started to put the old nature to death. I don't know why it is, or by what spirit we're led, or what we so-called spiritual men are after, that we expend much labor and more care on worthless and impermanent things, and hardly ever still our restless senses and give our attention fully to what lies within. We concentrate for a brief time, and then, unfortunately, our thoughts break away again. We do not subject our actions to a really searching scrutiny. We fail to notice the low level of our affections, and we don't regret the impurity of everything we do. There was no creature on earth but had lost its true direction, and that was why the great flood came. Since the desires of our hearts have gone astray, it's inevitable that our actions should reveal our lack of inner strength and also miss the way. It's from a pure heart that the harvest of a good life comes. Men ask what a man has done, but they're not so meticulous in considering what motivates his actions. They ask if he's been strong, rich, handsome, clever, a good writer, a good singer, or a good workman, but often nothing is said of his loneliness in spirit, his patience, his gentleness, his devotion to God, the quality of his inner life. It's man's natural instinct to consider outward characteristics. Grace looks at those within. So man is often mistaken, but grace rests his hope on God, and so is not deceived. On denying one's own claims and renouncing every desire. The voice of the Lord. My son, you cannot have complete freedom unless you deny your own claims entirely. Men are in chains as long as they have possessions and love their own interests, as long as they're covetous, curious and unsettled, always looking for what's easy and not for the way of Jesus Christ, fashioning and building something that will not last. For everything will perish that does not spring from God. Hold on to the brief saying that sums this up. Leave everything and you will find everything. Abandon desire and you will discover rest. Meditate on it, and when you put it into practice, you'll understand everything. The Disciple Oh Lord, that's not child's play, nor the work of a single day. These few words contain the full perfection of the religious. The Lord My son, you must not be discouraged or take fright when you hear of the way of those who've been made perfect. You should rather be spurred on to reach the heights, or at least to aspire earnestly towards them. If only you'd reached the state in which you no longer loved yourself, but stood wholly ready to do my will and the will of the Father I've set over you, 
Then you will please me very much, and your whole life will pass in joy and peace. As it is, there are still many things that you must give up, and unless you resign them entirely to me, you will not achieve the thing for which you pray. My counsel to thee is to come and buy from me what thou needest, gold proved in the fire to make thee rich. And that gold is the heavenly wisdom that tramples underfoot all that is base. Set this above earthly wisdom, all that brings you a reputation and makes you pleased with yourself. It's a poor thing I've told you to buy when compared with the treasures of earth. The true heavenly wisdom has no high opinion of itself and does not seek earthly glory, and so it seems a poor and worthless object, almost forgotten by men. Many of them preach it with their mouths, but their lives show little sign of it. Yet it is that pearl of great cost that only a few can find. On the fickleness of the heart, and on keeping one's ultimate intention fixed on God, the voice of the Lord, My son, you must not rely on how you feel at the moment, for you will soon feel something quite different. As long as you remain in this life, you cannot help being subject to change. Sometimes you are happy, sometimes sad, sometimes peaceful, sometimes troubled, sometimes devout, sometimes quite unmoved, sometimes full of enthusiasm, sometimes full of apathy, sometimes serious, sometimes taking nothing seriously at all. Yet the man who is wise and spiritually educated stands above these shifting emotions. He pays no attention to his personal feelings. He does not care from what quarter the wind of his fickleness is blowing, but sees to it that the whole purpose of his mind is striving toward his proper longed-for goal. A man can remain unshaken, one and the same, if across all the different things that intervene, he directs his will with undivided gaze and without a moment's slackening to me. The purer the eye of the will, the more unswerving the course amidst the squalls. But the clear eye of the will is dimmed in many people, because they are so ready to look away at any pleasant thing that comes across their path. It is rare to find a man who is wholly free from the blemish of self-seeking. That was why the Jews once came to Martha and Mary at Bethany, not only on account of Jesus, but so as to have sight of Lazarus. So you must clear the eye of your will, so that its gaze is undivided and direct, and turn it towards me, past all the various things that lie between. One who loves God finds him satisfying above all things and in all things. The Disciple Behold, my God and my all, what more can I want? What more blessed thing can I desire? How full of sweetness and delight these words seem to a man who loves the word and not the world and what the world has to offer. My God and my all. No other words are needed if a man understands, and if he loves, there's joy in repeating them often. For when you are with us, all things give delight. When you're not there, everything is tasteless. You give the tranquil heart great peace and festal gladness. It's you that makes us feel content with everything, able to praise you in everything. And without you, Nothing can please us for long. If anything is to please us and taste good to our souls, it must contain your grace 
and be seasoned with your wisdom. The man who finds you sweet will find the right savour in all things, but nothing can give pleasure to the man who finds no sweetness in you. Those who have a taste for worldly wisdom and all that's valuable by the natural man have no knowledge of your wisdom, for the world is full of folly, and the desires of the natural man mean death. But when a man disregards earthly things, puts the old nature to death, and follows you, it's clear that he has a taste for the real wisdom. He's reorientated from deception to truth, from corrupt nature to the spirit. It's God who tastes good to him, and whatever good thing he sees in creatures, he turns it all to the praise of his Creator. Different, very different indeed, is the savour of the Creator and the creature, of eternity and time, of light uncreated and light made visible. O eternal light, surpassing all created lights, flash your lightning from above and pierce my inmost heart. Purify my spirit with all its powers. Bring gladness, light and life, so that I may hold fast to you in joyful ecstasy. O when will that blessed time come, that time I long for, when your presence satisfies me wholly, and you are to me all in all. Until that gift is given, joy cannot be complete. But to my sorrow, the old nature still lives on within me. It's not yet crucified, not yet entirely dead. It is still at war with the impulses of the spirit. It still stirs up strife within me, and will not leave the kingdom of my soul in peace. As the psalmist says, Thou dost rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, thou stillest them. O rise up and help me. Scatter the nations that delight in war. Crush them in your might. Show, I pray, your mighty works, and let your right hand bring you glory. For I have no hope or refuge except in you, my Lord, my God. There is no security from temptation in this life. The voice of the Lord. My son, you're never safe in this life, but at every moment, as long as you're alive, you need your spiritual weapons. You're moving among enemies who attack on the right and the left. If you don't use your shield of patience at every point, it will not be long before you're wounded. In addition, if you do not fix your heart unshakably on me, with a solid intention of bearing everything for my sake, you will not be able to endure the heat of battle or attain the prize of the blessed. You must press on boldly through every experience and deal forcibly with all that stands in your way. For it's to the victorious that the hidden manner is given, while the man who does not stir himself is left with misery. If you're looking for rest in this life, how will you ever reach the everlasting rest at the end? It's not rest, you must expect, but suffering. Look for your true peace, not on earth, but in heaven, not in men or in other creatures, but in God alone. For love of God, you should be prepared to endure anything, toil, pain, temptation, vexation, anxiety, need, weakness, injustice, slander, blame, humiliation, shame, censure, and contempt. Such things strengthen virtue. They test the soldier of Christ and make up his heavenly crown. In return for your brief labors, I will give you an eternal reward for your passing humiliation, glory that will never end.
Do you imagine that spiritual comfort can be yours all the time for the asking? Not even my saints had that experience. But they endured many hardships, all kinds of temptations, and times of utter desolation. But in every experience they held on in patience, trusting in God rather than themselves, knowing that these present sufferings are not to be counted as the measure of their glory, nor sufficient to win it. Do you want to have at once what other people have passed through much sorrow and toil to achieve? Wait for the Lord, act like a man, be strong. Do not lose faith, and do not run away, but resolutely expose to danger both mind and body for the glory of God. I will reward you most abundantly, and I will be with you in all that is difficult. The judgments of men are unimportant. The voice of the Lord. My son, let your heart rest firmly in the Lord, and have no fear of men's condemnation, while your conscience assures you that you are innocent and right with God. It's a good and blessed thing to suffer like this, and it will not prove hard for the humble heart that trusts God rather than itself. People are many, and they say a great deal, and that is why one should give them little credit. Besides, it's impossible to satisfy everyone. St. Paul's desire was to please everyone in the Lord, and he was everything by turns to everybody. Yet he made little account of men's scrutiny or of any human audit day. He did everything in his power for the salvation and spiritual growth of others, but he could not always avoid their rash judging him and despising him. For that reason, he committed the whole affair to God, who understood it wholly, and defended himself by patience and humility against those who spoke ill of him or invented lying tales and spread them about. Still, he did give them an answer sometimes, so that he should not hurt the conscience of weaker Christians by his unwillingness to speak. Who are you that you are afraid of mortal man? He's here today and gone tomorrow. Fear God, and you will have no terror of men. How can any man harm you by evil word or deed? He hurts himself rather than you, and whoever he is, he can't escape God's judgment. Keep God before your eyes, and do not argue or try to justify yourself. If for the moment your opponent seems to get the better of you, and you suffer undeserved humiliation, don't feel aggrieved or let impatience take some of the brightness from your crown. Instead, look up to me in heaven, for I am able to deliver from all hurt and humiliation and to award to every man what his acts have deserved. On surrendering oneself to God wholly and entirely, in order to know liberty of spirit. The voice of the Lord. My son, give up self, and you will find me. Give up your choosing and your possessing, and you will always gain. Abundant grace will be heaped upon you the moment you surrender your own will and do not claim it back again. The Disciple O oh Lord, when shall I surrender myself? At what point give up my claims? The Lord Always and at every moment, in small things and in great. I allow no exceptions, but want to find you stripped of everything. Besides, how can you be mine or I be yours, unless you are stripped of all self-will, both within and without? The sooner you do this, the better it will be for you.
and if you do it with honesty and thoroughness, you will please me all the more and gain all the more for yourself. Some people surrender themselves but keep something back. They do not trust God utterly, but try to provide for themselves. Some at first offer all they have, but later on, when temptations buffet them, they take it back, and that is why they make no progress in goodness. These people will not attain the true liberty that belongs to the pure heart or the grace of sweet fellowship with me. They must first surrender themselves entirely and every day offer self upon the altar. Without this, the joy of union does not and cannot exist. I have often said to you, and I say it again, give up self, surrender yourself, and you will know great peace in your heart. Give your all for the one who is all. Expect nothing, want nothing back. Leave yourself with me wholly and without regrets, and you will possess me. You will be free in your heart, and the darkness will not bury you. Strive towards this goal, make this your longing and your prayer, to be stripped of all possessions, and having nothing, to follow the Jesus who had nothing, to be dead to your own claims, and alive to me forever. Then all illusions will fade away, all unholy alarms, and all unnecessary cares. The fears that you cannot control will subside, and the love you do not properly direct will perish. On being controlled, where outward things are concerned, and on turning to God in danger. The voice of the Lord, my son, you must resolutely aim at being inwardly free and your own master in every place and in every outward deed and occupation. See that things are under you, not over you. Where your actions are concerned, be master and ruler, not slave or servant. Be a free man, a true Hebrew, transferred to the status and freedom of the sons of God, who stand above temporal things and gaze on the eternal. They may observe what passes here, but they always keep one eye on the things of heaven. Temporal things do not rule their lives, because they make temporal things submit to the plan and purpose of God, the great craftsman who left nothing unplanned in all his creation. In all that happens, you must not stop short at external experiences or look at sights and sounds with merely human sense. On every occasion, you must go at once with Moses into the tabernacle and ask the Lord's advice. Then you will often hear God's answer and come back wiser to deal with present and future. Moses always had recourse to the tabernacle when he had doubts and questions to settle. And to find relief from danger and the wickedness of men, he turned it to the help of prayer. You likewise should take refuge in the inner room of your heart, earnestly imploring God's help. We read that Joshua and the people of Israel were deceived by the people of Gabon because they never asked the Lord for guidance first. They were too ready to believe fair words and were tricked by a pretense of friendship. You must avoid over-anxiety. The voice of the Lord. My son, always entrust your concerns to me, and in due time I will arrange them to your advantage. Wait for my decision, and you will find it brings you profit.
the disciple. Lord, I am very willing to entrust everything to you, for my own thinking can do me little good. If only I were not so concerned with the future, but prepared to surrender myself without hesitation to your good will. The Lord. My son, it often happens that a man feels a desire for something and pursues it avidly, but once he's achieved it, he begins to feel quite differently about it. He never feels a lasting interest in anything, but is always driven on from one thing to another. So it's not unimportant to surrender your own will even in an unimportant thing. A man's true profit lies in renouncing his own self, and the man who is so renounced is really free and secure. But the ancient enemy, who sets himself against all that is good, never stops his tempting. Day and night he lays deep plots to see if he can catch someone off his guard and trip him headlong into the snare he has laid. Watch and pray, says the Lord, that you may not enter into temptation. Man possesses no good thing of himself and has nothing of which he can boast. The Disciple Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou shouldst care for him? What has man done to earn the gift of your grace? Have I any reason to complain, Lord, if you abandon me? What grievance can I utter if you do not do what I ask? The right thing for me to think and say is this, Lord, I am nothing, I can do nothing, I possess nothing good of myself, but I am deficient in everything, and my end is always nothing. Unless you aid and mould me inwardly, I am completely tepid and corrupt. You, Lord, are always the same. Always and forever you are still good and just and holy, directing all things in goodness, justice and holiness, and arranging them in wisdom. I am more ready to go back than forward. I cannot keep myself from changing, for the seven seasons pass me by. Yet my state improves the moment it pleases you to stretch out your hand to help me. For you alone, without the aid of men, can help and strengthen me, so that my face is sad no longer, and my heart is turned and rests in you alone. If I knew how to reject all the comfort the world can offer, whether I did so from longing for the state of devotion, or from the compulsion that drives me to seek you, since no man can comfort me, then I might have some reason to hope for your grace, and might rejoice in the gift of fresh consolation. Thanks be to you when things go well with me, for all is sent by you. Before you I am a shadow and nothingness, a human creature, wavering and weak. What have I to boast of? Why should I want to be well known? Can I boast of my nothingness? That would be utter foolishness. Empty glorying is a curse and folly, because it draws us from the true glorying and robs us of heavenly grace. As long as a man satisfies himself, he does not satisfy you. While he's gaping after the praise of men, he's cutting himself off from the real virtues. True glorying and holy exaltation is to glory in you and not in oneself, to rejoice in your name, not in one's own powers, and to find delight in no created thing except for your sake. May your name be praised, not mine. May your works be exalted, not mine.
May your holy name be blessed, and may none of men's praises ever be given to me. You are my glory, the rejoicing of my heart. In you will I glory and rejoice all the day long. But I will not boast of myself, except to tell of my humiliations. Let the Jews be content to receive honor from one another. I will be ambitious for the honor which comes from him who alone is God. All the glory of men, all the honor of this world, all earthly rank, beside your eternal glory, are foolishness and unreality. O God, my truth, my mercy, O blessed Trinity, to you alone be blessing and honor and power and glory throughout endless generations. on despising worldly honor. The voice of the Lord. My son, do not take it to heart if you see others honored and distinguished while you are passed over and left in obscurity. Lift up your heart to me in heaven and you will not be hurt by the contempt of men on earth. The disciple. Lord, we are blind and easily deceived. If I look at myself honestly, I can see that I've never been wronged by any part of creation, and so I cannot justly bring you any complaint. I've sinned often and grievously against you, and so it's only right for all creation to take our bombs against me. Scorn and humiliation are my due, but praise and honor and glory are yours. Unless I prepare myself to be content when despised, cast off, and utterly disregarded by every living thing, I cannot know inward peace and stability, receive spiritual enlightenment, or be made one with you. You must not let your peace of mind depend on men. The voice of the Lord. My son, if your peace is dependent on some dear friend whose company gives you pleasure, you will be insecure because you are entangled. But if you turn at all times to the ever-living, ever-abiding truth, you will not be made unhappy if your friend leaves you or dies. Your love for your friend must stand in me, and it's for my sake that you must love any good man who is dear to you on earth. Friendship has no strength or lasting power without me, and no affection that I've not joined can be pure and true. You should be so dead to all such love and affection as to prefer, for your own part, to be free of all human companionship. A man approaches closer to God the further he withdraws from all earthly comfort. He also rises higher towards God as he sinks lower and becomes viler in his own eyes. Anyone who credits himself with any good thing prevents the grace of God from appearing within him, for the grace of the Holy Spirit seeks a humble heart. If you knew how to reduce self-interest to nothing and cast out all affection for the created world, then I would come, and my grace would well up abundantly within you. When you turn your eyes away towards created things, you lose the vision of the Creator. Learn to overcome yourself in all things for the sake of the Creator, and so you will be able to attain to knowledge of God. However little a thing may be, if you love it and look on it inordinately, it will keep you from the supreme good and stain your soul. 
against the empty knowledge that this world offers. The voice of the Lord. My son, you must not be impressed by men's fine words or subtle arguments. It is power that builds up the kingdom of God, not words. Pay attention to the words I speak, for they inspire men's hearts and enlighten their minds. They induce compunction and bring all kinds of comfort with them. You must never read anything in order to appear wiser or more learned. Study the mortification of your vices. This will help you more than the knowledge of many difficult matters. Even when you've read and learnt many things, you must still come back always to the one beginning. It is I who teach men all they know, and to my little ones I give a clearer understanding than any man can teach. The man to whom I speak will soon be wise and make great spiritual progress. How foolish people are when they go to men to learn about all kinds of unnecessary things and give little thought to the way in which they can serve me. The time will come when Christ, the Lord of angels, shall appear, the Master of masters, who will hear the lessons of all and examine each man's conscience. Then the call will come for lamps to search Jerusalem through. What is hidden in darkness shall then be revealed, and arguing tongues fall silent. I am one that in a moment can raise the humble mind to more understanding of eternal truth than if he'd given ten years to study. In my teaching there's no babble of words, no confusion of opinions, no arrogance of authority, no conflict of argument. I am one that teaches a man to spurn the things of earth and to loathe what is temporal, to seek the eternal, to relish the eternal, to shun honour and to submit to slander, to rest all his hope in me, to desire nothing outside me, to love me beyond all things with a burning love. There was once a man who loved me with all his heart, and he grasped divine mysteries and could speak wonderful things. He gained more by abandoning everything than by studying subtle theories. To some I give a general message. To others I say things meant only for them. To certain people my sweet presence is known in signs and symbols, while to a few I reveal mysteries in a dazzling light. Books speak with one voice, but not everyone learns the same from them. For I am within a man, the truth that teaches him. I search his heart, I know his thoughts, I advance his actions, and give to each man what I think he should have. Are not interesting oneself in outward things. The voice of the Lord. My son, you must remain in ignorance about many things, and consider yourself as one dead on this earth, to whom the world stands crucified. There is much that you must pass through with deaf ears, keeping your mind on the things that bring you peace. It's better to turn away from things that annoy you and to leave each man to his own opinions than to be carried away in an argument. If you stand right with God and keep his judgment in view, you will find it easier to let yourself be worsted. The Disciple Lord, 
What a state we've come to. We lament any damage to our temporal interests and bustle about for some modest gain while we forget any damage our souls have incurred and hardly ever recall it. We give our attention to things that do us little or no good and carelessly pass by the thing of supreme importance. The whole man tends to seep away to things outside, and unless he comes to his senses, he is soon content to lie submerged in externals. We should not believe everybody. Words are fallible things. The Disciple O Lord, it is Thou that must deliver us from peril. Vain is the help of man. How often have I not found good faith where I thought it existed, and how often I have discovered it where I least expected. So it's useless to hope in men, but in You, O God, there is salvation for the righteous. O Lord my God, may You be praised in all that happens to us. We are weak and unstable, and it takes so little to change us and lead us astray. However carefully and cautiously a man tries to behave in every situation, he is bound to meet bewilderment and deception at some point. Yet the man who trusts you, O Lord, and seeks you in all sincerity, will stand more firmly than most. And if trouble should come upon him, however much he may be involved, you will rescue him before long or send him comfort for you never fail the man who hopes in you to the end. It's not often one finds a reliable friend who will be loyal in every kind of trouble. You, O Lord, you alone are reliable in all things, and beside you there's no other like you. How wise was the holy soul that said, My mind is solidly grounded and rooted in Christ. If this were true of me, the fear of men would have less hold on me, and I would not mind so much what they say. Is anyone capable of foreseeing everything or doing anything to avoid the evils he sees? The evils we do foresee still hurt us when they happen, so it's only to be expected that unforeseen ones will hurt us deeply too. But why did I not do more than I did to save myself this misery? And why was I so ready to believe what others said? We're still men with all the weaknesses of men, even if many people look on us as angels. Is there anyone, Lord, I can believe, anyone but you? You are the truth, and you cannot deceive or be deceived. On the other hand, man's faith is false. He is weak, unsteady, and insecure, above all where the tongue is concerned. And so we can hardly believe anything straight away, even when it seems to be correct. How wise you were to warn us not to put our trust in men, telling us that a man's enemies will be the people of his own house, and that if a man says, See here, or see he's there, we must not believe him. Experience has taught me a lesson, and I hope it will bring more caution, not more folly. A man once said to me, Be careful, keep what I say to yourself. And while I said nothing, and thought that no one knew, he was unable to keep the very secret he'd asked me to keep, but went his way, betraying both me and himself. O oh Lord, protect me from careless speech and careless men like that. Save me from falling into their clutches or doing the same myself. Put true and trustworthy words in my mouth 
and see that my tongue is never crafty. At all costs, I must avoid doing what I don't want others to do to me. What a good and peaceable thing it is if we can keep silent about other people and not believe everything indiscriminately or pass on what we have heard. If we do not let everyone know our most intimate thoughts, if we are always seeking you, the searcher of all hearts, and are not driven before each new wind that blows, but desire that all things, both within us and without, shall conform to your will and pleasure. If we wish to keep the grace of heaven, the safest course is to shun all that's impressive in the eyes of the world, and instead of striving for the qualities that attract men's admiration, to spare no effort in developing those that bring fervor and amendment of life. We're very vulnerable in this life, where all is testing and campaigning, and harm has been done to many people when virtue was too quickly recognized and praised. But much benefit has come from grace that was fostered in silence. On having confidence in God when caught in a storm of hard words. The voice of the Lord. My son, stand fast and put your hope in me. Words, after all, are only words. They fly through the air, but they don't hurt a stone. If you are guilty, say to yourself, I will gladly correct my faults. If your conscience is clear, say, I am glad to bear this injustice for God's sake. It's not much that you should sometimes bear hard words, seeing that you are not yet strong enough to endure hard blows. The only reason why such little things cut you to the heart is that you are still ruled by your old nature and take more notice of men than you should. It's because you are afraid of men's contempt that you are unwilling to be taken to task for your mistakes and try to cover them up with excuses. Look at yourself carefully and you will see that worldly interests are still alive within you as well as a foolish love of pleasing men. When you try to run away from the shame and humiliation that result from wrongdoing, it's quite clear that you've not learnt real humility, that you're not really dead to the world, and that the world does not stand crucified to you. Listen to my word, and you will not care about ten thousand words of men. If everything that malice can invent were said against you, what harm would it do you if you didn't mind in the slightest and let it all pass by? Could it pull a single hair from your head? A man is easily upset by blame when he does not keep his thoughts centered within him and his eyes fixed on God. But the man who trusts in me and does not attempt to stand by his own judgment will be free from the fear of men. I am the judge from whom no secret is hidden. I am aware how each deed is done. I know who commits a wrong and who has to bear it. I allowed that word to be said. That thing was done with my permission. And so the thoughts of many hearts shall be made manifest. I shall judge both innocent and guilty, but first of all it's my pleasure to test them both in secret. What men say about a person is often false, but my judgment is true. It will stand firm and not be reversed. Mostly it's concealed, and few know all its details. But it never makes a mistake, nor can it make a mistake, 
even if it seems unjust to those who have no wisdom. Whenever judgment is passed, you must flee to me and not make your own decisions. For God will not let anything befall the just man to do him hurt. And so, he will not greatly care even if some unjust charge is brought against him. On the other hand, he'll not be foolishly pleased even if others excuse him and justify his actions. He reminds himself that I am one who probes the innermost heart, that I do not judge by appearances or the things for which men have eyes. Often, a thing that men judge praiseworthy is, in my eyes, worthy of blame. The Disciple O Lord God, judge ever true. You know the weakness and the wickedness of men. Be my strength and all my confidence, for my own knowledge is not enough for me. You know what I don't know, and so I should humble myself and bear it with mildness when fault is found with me. Be gracious and forgive me for all the times I've not done so, and once more grant me the grace to submit. For it's better to leave it to your abundant mercy to grant me pardon than to assert my fancied righteousness and stifle my secret sense of guilt. As St. Paul says, even if my conscience does not reproach me, that's not where my justification lies. For without the action of your mercy, what man is there living that can stand guiltless in thy presence? Every hardship is worth enduring for the sake of eternal life. The voice of the Lord, my son, you must not let yourself be crushed under the labors you have undertaken for my sake, nor utterly downcast by the difficult things that come your way. Whatever happens, let my promise strengthen and encourage you. I am sufficient to reward you beyond all measuring and all limit. Your toil here will not last long, and you will not always be weighed down with sorrows. Wait just a while, and you will soon see an end to your troubles. A time will come when all your toil and struggling will cease, and anything that passes away with time is brief and unimportant. Go on with what you are doing. Work faithfully in my vineyard, and I shall be your reward. Write, read, and sing. Lament your sins, keep silence, pray. Bravely endure all that you find hard to bear. Eternal life is worth all these and greater struggles too. Peace will come to you on a day which is already known to the Lord, and then there will be no day or night such as you know on this earth, but perpetual light, splendor without end, peace that cannot be broken, calm that holds no fear. You will not then say, who is to set me free from a nature thus doomed to death? Nor will you cry, Woe is me that live in exile in Mosach. For death will be swallowed up, and salvation be complete. Then there will be no fear, but blessed joy and sweet companionship, full of pure delight. If only you had once seen the unfading crowns of the saints in heaven, the great glory that fills with joy those who once were thought of no account in the eyes of the world, not worthy even to live. Then you would certainly humble yourself to the ground and would strive to be the servant of all 
rather than the master of one. You would not desire days of happiness in this life, but would rejoice to endure hardships for God's sake. And you would think you had gained most when you counted least among men. If you relished these things, and they really had a meaning in your heart, would you dare to utter a single complaint? Surely every hardship is worth enduring for the sake of eternal life. It's no trivial matter to win or lose God's kingdom. So lift your face to heaven. There I am, and with me are all those saints of mine who faced a hard struggle in this world. Now they rejoice. Now they're comforted. Now they know peace and rest. And they shall remain with me in my Father's kingdom forever. On the eternal day and this life's anguish. The Disciple Blessed home in the city above. Eternity's bright day that night never shadows, filled with light ever streaming from the truth supreme. Day forever glad, forever free from fear, constant and unchanging. If only that day had dawned, and all that belongs to this life had drawn to its end. For the saints, that day shines glorious with never-fading splendor. But for the wanderers on this earth, there's only a distant reflection. The citizens of heaven know the joys of that day, but the exiled sons of Eve can only mourn the bitterness and weariness of this. The days of our existence in time are brief and evil, full of anguish and pain. Here, man is stained by sin, ensnared by passion, gripped by fear, and torn by care. Here, he is distracted by so many unimportant things, involved in so many pointless activities, surrounded by so many chances of going wrong. He is worn down by hardship, burdened by temptation, weakened by pleasure, and tormented by want. When will these troubles come to an end? When shall I be freed from the wretchedness of slavery to sin? When shall I think of you alone, O God, find all my joy in you? When shall I shake off all that hinders me, escape the burden of body and mind, and be really free? When shall I know continuous peace, peace that cannot be disturbed or shaken, peace within and without, peace built firm on every side. Good Jesus, when shall I stand and gaze on you? When shall I behold the glory of your kingdom? When will you be all in all to me? Oh, when shall I be with you in the kingdom you have kept prepared for those you love from all eternity? Here I am on a hostile earth, a poor abandoned exile amid daily warfare, suffering great distress. Comfort me in my exile and ease my sufferings. My every longing sighs for you and all the comfort of this world is nothing but a burden. I long to have the joy of you in my inmost heart, but I cannot find you. I yearn to hold fast to heavenly things, but temporal interests and the longings I have not killed drag me down again. My spirit desires to rise above all things, yet my natural instincts keep me subject against my will. Pitiable creature that I am, I am at war with myself, and my life has become a burden to me. For my spirit longs for heaven, but my old nature prefers the earth.
what suffering this means. Just when my mind is filled with thoughts of heaven, a host of worldly thoughts burst in upon my prayer. O God, do not keep your distance from me. Do not turn away in anger from your servant. Brandish your lightnings to rout my enemies. Shoot your arrows and throw into confusion all the phantoms the enemy marshals against me. Gather every thought into stillness before you. Make me forget everything that belongs to the world and enable me to scorn and reject the imaginings of sin. Heavenly sweetness, come to help me and let every impurity flee from your face. Forgive me and in your mercy pardon me whenever I think of anything in my prayers but you. For I must confess that I have grown used to letting my thoughts be distracted. Very often I am not where my body sits or stands. I am where my imagination takes me. I am where my thoughts are, and my thoughts are often where the thing I love is. My mind is filled with things that are naturally attractive or that I have grown fond of from habit. You are the truth, and you told us plainly. Where your treasure house is, there your heart is too. If it's heaven that I love, I'm glad to think of heavenly things. If it's the world I'm attached to, then I rejoice with the world's happiness and I'm saddened by its misfortunes. If I'm attached to the body, I let my thoughts dwell on the things that interest the body. If I love the spirit, I delight to think of spiritual things. It's the things I love that I gladly speak and think about. It's thoughts of these that I carry home with me. Yet that man is really happy, who for your sake, Lord, can say farewell to all created things and do violence to his natural longings and by the burning desire of his spirit crucify the corrupt desires of the flesh. Then, from a conscience that is at peace, he can offer you pure prayer and be fit to stand among the angelic choir, body and soul oblivious of earthly things.